Ready when you are, wise ass. All right. Am I am I up on it? <laughs> Get up off of that thing. <laughs> That's a great way to start episode 24 of On Taking Pictures. Uh, we're a weekly podcast. We're here every week, each and every week, sometimes earlier. We've, we've done a couple earlier, haven't we? Uh, yeah, a couple on Monday. Um, we're back on Tuesday this week, and I don't know what we're going to do next week because I'm going to be in the Sierra Nevada mountains on right. Tuesday. So right. uh, we may have to do another one late this week or something and then try to do one while I'm in L.A. at the end of next week. I think that would be fun. It'd be fun to do one live. Do one live in LA somewhere. We're going to do it live. We're here each and every week talking about the art, the science, uh, even some of the philosophy behind making images, why we make images. Why do we, what, what is, what is it good for? <laughs> War and photography. That's right. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from fadedandblurred.com and with me, fancy New York portrait photographer, Bill Wadman. Uh, hi, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, past week I was down in D.C. because my sister had a baby and we were taking uh, some, I had my camera with me and I, I, you know, it's amazing how little light you work in nowadays so often. Yeah? You know, like I was shooting at 3200 all the time. Not all the time, but often in the rooms and in the, in the NICU where the baby is and stuff. It's like there's no light. And they probably look great, don't they? Yeah, they look fine. I mean, you know, they're the biggest problem with that kind of stuff is the color of the light. Mm -hmm. So you get these nasty uh, green fluorescents that you can't really correct for in white balance, you know, because the spectrums are so spiky. Sure. Um, well, and aren't you've got probably natural light coming in at some point? Yeah, and there's mixing mixed lighting it. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's just kind of crazy that nowadays you can do that kind of thing where before you were just screwed. I mean, you just couldn't do it. Um, in film, you would never be shooting in that low a light. And now it's like nothing, you know, like 3200 is, is your, your camera automatically will go that high if it has to, that's not even into the extended settings, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, just kind of crazy stuff. Oh, it's, technology. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, what do we got? We got a huge list today. We got, we should get going. We got a big list. Uh, wanted to, to start out. We, Last week, we talked about, for those of you who didn't listen, uh, we talked a little bit about workshops. And, and I think each of us have some, some similar views and, and, and some differing views on, on the workshops. But one of the, thing, one of the things in the industry that's, that's gaining a lot of momentum is this idea of remote learning and, and uh, uh, what would you call it? So, sort of the Ustream well, they're version. They're online workshops, right? Sure, sure. Uh, and oh. Scott Kelby does his whole thing with Kelby training. Yep. And, and uh, a couple years ago, and I think it was 2010, Chase Jarvis started Creative Live. I remember when he was like tweeting about that and being like, coming soon. Right. The most exciting, revolutionary thing ever. And you're like, wait, the Segway scooter? <laughs> uh, bacon that cooks itself? Yeah. What is this? Wait, Windows? Yeah. Sliced bread? What? Uh, but, you know, it's Creative Live has been remarkably successful and they just got a round of funding. Well, how much does that cost? Well, watch their thing. Okay. Here, here's their model. Their model is if you, if you watch it live, it's yeah. free. 
Okay, so you're not paying anything. If you're watching it the first time it airs live, it's free. So even if it's a if it's a single day or a two day or a three day workshop or class, as long as you're watching it live, you can watch it free. And then uh, afterwards, you can buy the DVDs or or the download for anywhere from I think it's twenty nine dollars up to hundred and a half. Okay. Uh, but have, have uh, you watched any of this stuff? I've watched a few of them live. Uh, I've watched a few of them live. I haven't watched like an, I won't sit down for an entire eight hour stretch. I'll, I'll come and go and, okay. and turn it on and see what's going on and, and, uh, and then come back later. But you know, they go eight hours, nine hours long. They'll do breaks in between. But I, I, I find the model interesting that on the one hand, they're giving this knowledge away for free. If you sort of take the time to go to the class live, um, I, I guess my question is the few times that I've watched it felt the information that they were giving felt not necessarily basic, but it kind of was just like, really, you're spending all this money to stream a guy setting up a beauty dish. It felt a little like that to me. Well, and, and I and- know there are people out there who don't know how to use a beauty dish, but do you really need to watch somebody do it is my question. You know? I think, yes. I think some people there, you know, look, there are different ways of learning. Some people are visual learners. Yeah. Some people are auditory learners. Yeah. Uh, some people are a combination of the two. Some people need to read. So, you know, I, I love the fact that it's there. I love the fact that this resource is there. I think from a technical standpoint, they do an amazing job. The video quality is top notch. Um, the, the quality of their stream is fantastic. I like the way that they that they deal with user feedback and and having a, a small audience there for for the instructor or the guest to right. sort of banter off of and 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 sort of play off of. I like that a lot. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's a, a a pretty interesting model. I don't know what kind of numbers they do right. uh, in terms of of revenue, but somebody's got to believe in it to pony up you know eight nine million dollars, right? Seems very strange, but yeah. So they got a bunch of money. They got a bunch of money, and they're bringing on more instructors and and doing more classes. And uh, I don't. I it's it's kind of interesting. So I'd like I'd like to think uh, yeah, that it's it, a good thing. Is that the future of workshops? Sort of this group online kind of thing is your angle. Uh, yeah, I think I think for a certain segment it is. Um, well, for a certain segment of people who aren't in L.A. or San Francisco or New York, right you know, aren't in the places where a lot of people are putting on the kind of stuff they're looking for you right. know, or what, wherever. Right. You know, if you're living in Omaha or where, you know. Right. Um, no, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting model. And I think from what I can tell anyway, it, it seems like Chase is doing it the right way. And it seems like he's kind of taken his time and he and his team have taken their time with it to put something together that, that I don't know. It seems pretty cool to me. Well, they've taken two years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Well, you know, it is, it's, it's a different, uh, it's a direction that things are going and it's interesting that it's actually getting mainstream funding or funding from mainstream money people. Right. Right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, good stuff. Anyway, so creativelive.com if you haven't checked it out. Uh, I don't know what their next... I like some of the interviews that Chase does I find interesting. Um, Sometimes when he talks, it drives me nuts. 
something about his presentation to... is a little too it's not condescending but it's like cool kid you know what i mean he he sometimes interjects a little too often for me in interviews yeah in interviews okay. you know it's like just let him go i mean I know, it's just a little self-important i don't know maybe maybe that's you know Maybe. I don't know. I, I like him, though. I think he's a talented guy. I've heard and, that he's a very nice guy. It's just the, the feeling I get some, mm-hmm. when I've seen him. I don't know. Maybe it's the name. You know. <laughs> really? That's, that's, that's I, the thing? I don't know. It's a weird thing. Maybe he reminds hmm. me of somebody I didn't like when I was a kid. You ever have that? You ever have it like where there's somebody who reminds you of somebody from like middle school? And even though they're a completely different person and they have nothing related to the person who like, you know, beat you up or stole your lunch money or something or stole the girl from you, like you still don't like them? Maybe. I don't, I didn't, we moved around a lot, so I didn't have Well, that was like in the 1860s, so. (laughs) Every time the mule ran away, we had to go. You had to go run for it. Um, (laughs) Hey, Hey, have I mentioned how much I love doing this show with you? Have I mentioned? I just want to go on record. Love it. Hey, um, Jean-Michel sent in that app. Oh, this one-shot app. Yeah, what do you think of this? I, this is getting a lot of – people are going either, either way on it, and it's pretty polarized, the response. Um, For, First of all, talk about the app. It's, okay, it's, a, so you, it's an iPhone app, Yeah, right? iPhone app, you download it, and apparently you can take one photograph with it, and that's Ever. it. Uh, apparently, though, you, you have a certain amount of time to change the picture, but then it stays the same forever, and then it uploads it to some sort of global feed, so you can look at other people's mementos. They call them a memento. Uh, and there's filters and things in it, but the idea is that you only take one picture, and then you upload it, and everyone takes one picture and uploads it, and it's some sort of... Uh, you know, it's cute. The branding is nice. A little one memento film, break this seal to expose. That's cute. Uh it's a neat idea. It's sort of a neat academic concept, but not necessarily like actually a good idea. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you. I think the branding is great. I, I like the design. I like you know, the it, visuals. I like the interface. It brings up interesting philosophical questions without itself being all that interesting. Well, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing that, I, that, that bothers me about it is the whole idea behind digital photography or so that you can take one, more than one picture. Yeah, one of the strong points behind digital photography, maybe not the only one, but one of the strong points is, yeah, you're virtually unlimited in in what you can shoot. And you're no longer bound by 12, 24, 36 shots. Right. So for me, this... Well, that's, y- that's along the lines of my view of all the Instagram filtery stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where at a certain point, it's like you have a machine capable of actually taking a perfect image of whatever's in front of you, and now you're making it look like the thing that was really bad at it but was trying to be good at it. Right. Um, I mean, it, it, they're like an artificial scarcity. You know, it's that kind of thing. I, you know, I would love it if maybe it's one image every... X minutes or X hours, or you can only take one, one image a, day a day or one a week, one a year. Sure. Sure. But one ever, that seems a little, a little odd. Well, then at that point, then it's just like, okay, are you really going to go clicking through other people's single images or are you just going to delete the app? I'll delete the app. Right. So let's, when we meet up, we'll download it. We'll take one portrait each of each other and put them up there. <laughs> and put them up and then forget about it. And then delete the app. There you um, go. Yours will look better than mine since you have the 4S. Yeah, but you'll have the 5. Not then. 
Not until November if I get one. I still well, but even, even if you do have the five, it'll be all purple and whatnot. I'll borrow somebody else's. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there, yeah. So what's the deal? Okay. Apparently the, the, the iPhone five, right. when shooting into the sun from certain angles at certain times of the day yeah. and certain, when the moon is in its fourth quarter. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. There's some purple flaring that happens around the light source and Apple's kind of okay. official stance on it is you're holding it wrong. It's called lens flare, dude. Like that's, it happens. It happens, Who but... Who cares? It's a cell phone camera. <laughs> do, do you expect it to be something okay, more than a cell phone camera? Here's what's funny. If this had happened with any other camera phone on the planet, yep. nobody would be saying a word. Look, uh, there are things... Uh, Apple's this weird thing where some of the time they get away with the most egregiously ridiculous things... And then other times they're nitpicked for most ridiculous things. Like it's like right. one side or the other. This right. is nitpicking ridiculousness. Who's they, shooting into the thing? I've seen pictures that are examples of this. And the effects that people are going to put on the pictures they take with the purple stuff in it are doing 10 times more right. damage to the image than the stupid purple yeah. fringing. You know, this reminds me of when the D7000, when Nikon released the D7000, uh, there was this internet uproar, which is sort of fake uproar, right? There was this internet uproar about uh, red stuck pixels on the back LCD when you're shooting at 25,000 ISO video, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, okay, and? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you... <laughs> Why is this yeah. an issue? Yeah. Does it show up in the well, final video? Well, you know no. what? This is okay. exactly like the whole 5D Mark III light leak thing. Yeah. You know, if you happen to be shooting minute and a half long exposures in the middle of nowhere in Utah where there's no, you know, yeah, okay, at yeah. night with the top screen on. Well, turn the top screen off. Done. It's fixed. Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> what so, is, is this really yeah. something that we're arguing over? How many people, people are actually going to be affected by this ever? Yeah, go out and take pictures. Quit complaining. Stupid. Something. Just it's just stupid. I don't I don't really care. I I did however play with the uh iPhone 5 at the store. I just happened to be at the store buying something the other day. And I picked one up and did a little panorama on myself. The panorama mode it was pretty amazing. And the camera was very fast. Like yeah, very it is. like as fast as any compact camera I've used. Absolutely. Which is saying something. And uh yeah, it was, it's funny. We were at the at lunch with Dan Benjamin, and he had him and Hattie, his little his assistant, had uh, new iPhones, and okay. so I was playing with his phone, and uh, it's it's you know it's it's pretty nice. Like I I pulled out my phone to go take a picture of them in the subway because I was surprised that he actually came and is on the subway here, um, and uh, like it took you know it takes like ten seconds for the old iPhone four to like load the damn camera. Mm -hmm. and by then the thing is gone where like on the five it's like boom it's there yeah. um it's it's a nice piece of kit it I is mean, it is it is quite nice um i don't really like the way I, I think the overall look of the four is a classier look than the look of the five personally i agree um but whatever looks looks like a nice phone um sally man you love your sally man I do like Sally Mann. When, and did, it, it, when did we uh we did a we did a we used sally man as our photographer right. didn't we we did uh, that was early I, you know, on. Where is she? Hold on. What episode? Uh, seven. Four? Seven. Is it seven? Okay, I thought it was four. Uh, yeah, I like Sally Mann. It, Sally Mann is a bit of an anomaly in that she's, she's doing this amazing work 
with uh, a century old technology and, and just sort of refusing um, to, to change how she does it and still producing this amazing, amazing work. Uh, I agree that these are pretty cool. What, what's, what's amazing. We'll put the link in the show notes, um, but it's up on American Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about them though, is that what makes them interesting in some ways is their defects. Absolutely. In fact, that's in some ways, that's the only thing that makes these pictures interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and is, these are all, these are all collodion stuff is that what she's doing yes and some of them it looks like she's like way overexposing them to get that posterized look right um their body parts there's faces they're out of focus they're cracked they're craggled they're scratched they're runny um they're they're partial images they're scraped away sections um they're 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 interesting okay here's my question mm-hmm. would they be as interesting if she shot them digitally and did this in post? No, because they wouldn't look like this. Okay, but there are people who are pretty good at Photoshop who could make things that look like this. Uh, sure, sure. So, so why, why, why is this good, but the other thing bad? Are, you're asking, a, like, my own opinion? Yeah, I'm asking you. I, I feel like this is a little bit flipped. Usually you'd be asking me this question. Okay. Uh, well, n- I think for me, it comes down to process. It, okay. Not processing, but the process that she goes through to create her images. Um, this series because that we're talking harder, about- Because it's harder is what you're saying. Well, it, it's, it's harder. It's more, it's more time consuming. It's more finesse driven. It's, it's less forgiving. Uh, yeah, but at the, the same the, time, isn't it also more chaotic, more random, more by chance- I mean, I don't think uh, that she's level, necessarily, sure. I don't think that she is creating these def- defects on purpose as much as she is uh, dealing with, uh, you know, just taking the defects as they come. That I don't know. Sense? I think, yeah, I, I, it makes sense. I think she's well aware of what the medium can and can't do. Okay. And, and leverages that to her own ends. Okay. She's pushing it. Um, the other, one of the other things that I like about this particular series is this is all, a, these are all self portraits. Yep. Uh, she was in uh, an accident, fell off a horse and couldn't lug her camera around. And, and this was the body of work that yeah. she created. That's not a euphemism, by the way. She yeah. literally <laughs> fell off a horse. Yeah, she really did. Uh, I don't know if she got back on the horse, <sighs> but <laughs> really you had to go there. I, I couldn't resist. Okay. Uh, but I really do love her work. Um, and, I, and I love how she seems, I mean, I've never met her. I'd love to meet her. But she seems to stay true to her sort of vision, her creative vision, and seems to push and push and push. And yes, she's using the same technology. And you, could, you can argue that, yes, she's, she's exploiting uh, the limits of that technology. But there's something to be said about the longevity of her career that she's enjoyed and, and maintained a relevance despite the, the industry around her sort of moving on. True. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, but isn't that true of, you know, Greenfield Sanders and, and Jay Maisel, well, Jay Maisel shooting digital, but you know, the, the, the old school guys who were still working in film, 
Absolutely, and I would and I would give them very similar props okay. for for what they're doing, or um, or the or the Chuck Close stuff where he worked with what's his name to do the daguerreotypes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that that any any time you can. So in painting, do you give somebody more props if they mix their own, if they, you know, crushing their own pigment to make their paints? On some level, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know. Does that, does that instill um, implicit value or is that just sort of a subjective value? For me, I think it's, it's, well, I think it implies a greater sense of craft. Okay. You know, to me, it implies a greater commitment to, to the overall process. Uh, Sure. You could get some of these effects in Photoshop. Sure. You could get some of these effects in digital. Sure. You know, you could, 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 but the fact that, that the people that we're talking about, Sally Mann in particular, doesn't. Yeah. To me, that elevates them beyond those who do just from that standpoint. This makes me want to take more self-portraits. Well, okay. Using you as an example, I I think your your one shot series that you're doing is is some of the best portrait work you've done in a long time that I've seen. And one of the reasons I I, I think that is because you only get one shot at it. Yeah. See, you know? it's funny so because you're, sometimes you're I think they're boring. Mm-hmm. I think you know it's like is is there is there beauty in the pedestrianness of it? Not, not yes. in her work, but in, in these, in these one shots that I'm doing. Um, I think so. I, I think, I think that her images are interesting images beyond the fact that they are difficult photographs to make there. You know, um, there's this guy, Abe Morello. Okay. Uh, yeah, you tweeted something. Abe Morello is a monster. Yeah. What um, was that about? Oh, or I'm um, not Morell. Uh, or, or it's, uh, Abe Morell, not Morell. Abe Morell. Um, He's, he's a, he's a photographer. Um, he, you know, in those genius of photography at the very, very beginning, they're in, um, Venice and he does the camera obscura in the room. Oh, right. That's, okay. that's Abe Morel. Okay. Um, and that his, was pretty wild. Yeah. So he, I've never seen one of those. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He's, he's totally cool. And he has a current exhibit, which I'll here, I'll put into uh, Skype here so you could see it and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, where he uh, he's doing all kinds of really strange stuff. Like he stacked paper and then uh, slid the pages left and right so that the edge of the paper ended up becoming uh, a profile of his face. Mm. Do you see this? Yeah I'm, look- yeah, I'm looking at it. And then he shot that paper, which I think is really interesting. It's like a, a two-step further away photographic kind of thing. Sure. You know, um, but I think the idea of doing stuff that is not straight portraiture is an interesting, is an interesting way to go. And something that I feel like I probably need to do more of straight Hmm. portraiture. I've, I've got down what I like to do with it. So now it's like, how do I, I mean, going back to episodes, you know, 10, 11, 12, where it was all about stretching yourself and, and what, how, how to get out of the, the rut that you normally do, you know? Right. Um, I think some of these, like the, the, the Abe thing and, uh, the Sally Mann examples are places they're going that are not typical self portraits, you know? Well, and I, I think that's one of the things that I'm, that I'm struggling with. If I'm being honest right now is I'm, I'm looking to create 
a new body of work. I'm looking to ex- express something, but I, number one, I don't know what that something is. I'm, I'm, I'm working through some things, but number two, I, I don't want it to just be simple portraits. I, I want there to be something else in there, whether that is, uh, asking particular questions and having people think about it and answer and shooting them while they're answering these questions so that there's an honesty to it. There's a, there's a rawness to it. Maybe that's part of it. I, I, I have a, a fantasy of doing a, uh, a series where I use really terrible light. <laughs> and, just, and just see what you can come up with? Yeah, like I took a picture of um, a guy that was – it's on my blog. Uh, the guy Robert from a couple weeks ago. I've been really bad about posting in my blog lately. Sorry, everyone. Um, there's a, links to this guy Robert. Um, it's a couple things back. And one of the pictures I took of him is very harsh lighting and, and, and not very flattering at all and sort of wide angle. And I think he looks a little like uh, Philip Glass in the picture that I took of him. Um, oh, is this the one where you did, you did the two separate photos? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You did one like, like you, would, you would do it and yeah. then, okay. Uh, and the, yeah, the other one looks like it's lit with a, lit with a desk lamp. Yeah, which it's not. It's actually lit with four strobes or five strobes, four strobes. Yeah. Um, so it's actually a fairly complex lighting setup, but in the end, it kind of still looks like, I think it's the more interesting of the two pictures, but not nearly as flattering, you know? Right. So then it's the question of, okay, well, what, what is a portrait trying to be? Is it trying to be with the photographers? Is it a portrait of the photographer or is it a portrait of the person you're taking the picture of? And, you know, it it was Avedon who always said, you know, portraits I take are, are more, are all self portraits. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it was, it's sort of that kind of angle. Uh, well, I, I used, I used to strive for the first, the, uh, the more, you know, I want to make him look as good as possible to show off what I'm able to do. But as right. time goes on, I'm more and more enjoying the second, which I find is a more interesting photograph. It seems to leave you with a more interesting end product. Right. The first one's great if he wants a nice headshot of himself and, you know, a picture for match.com. Sure. I mean, we, we've talked about it's hard to take a, a, a bad picture of a beautiful person. Right. But it's often the not so beautiful photos that, that we go, wow, I remember this photo that, that, that you know. Yes, exactly. Kind of just blew me away and it was, yeah. you know, whatever. So it's just it's just something to put out there. But, you know, Sally Man thing, I, I like those images. And we'll put the thing in the link in the show notes. Um yeah, what did you say? The images, them. this is from the article that, that we're quoting from. The images themselves are glass plate ambrotype positives straight from the camera, made with the wet plate collodion process, an archaic laborious technique dating back to photography's earliest days. As in the majority of her recent work, the medium's fickle, uh, finickiness and imperfections give man's self-portraits a haunted Faulkner-esque tone. I love that. Transforming them from straight photographs into objects resembling long lost artifacts from a forgotten time. Okay. What can I say about this? While yes, that's a, that's a great paragraph. It's also, I hate that kind of talk. Okay. It's sure. It's art school pretense. Yes. We we can say it. Yeah. It's, it's like this, this is like to get people who don't really know anything about anything or don't have taste to be like, Oh yes, I can see that it feels like it's for lost artifact from sure. It's, it's art bait. It's art bait is what it is. I hate that. But, but, and this is the, but for me, the work is fantastic. The, The work is fantastic. Despite this. Yeah, had, had I never this, read this, yes. and and, it, and it, indeed, I looked at the photographs 
this in this series before I went back and read the article yeah. and and I went wow these are really great yeah um but reading this, yeah, it's like, here's why you should think this is cool. Yeah. I, I have artist friends who are really good at writing things like this. <laughs> and in some ways, it, it propels their work beyond where mine goes just because they're good at talking about it. Mm. They're good at describing their work. Right. In, in, in the sort of pretentious art way, you know. They're, mm-hmm. they're good at writing labels. Where my feeling is that if the work can't stand without you explaining it or you writing about it, then the work is bad. Right, right. You know, the if, work is no good. To, if you have to explain it, then it's not well done. Right. If you have to look at the gallery card next to it. Right. You know. Yeah. But then there's the other side of that where... Sometimes the, the intent changes the... Yeah, sure. Yeah. The story behind it gives it weight. The story behind it, whether it was a story of how it was captured or yeah. the story of what, what it's trying to portray right that oftentimes can give it weight if the story actually comes before the work oftentimes people make work and then try to find a story you know what i mean right pump up the story to sound like it is more than it was when they were making it most Mm -hmm. of the time that i know that people make something that they really like they go i don't know i was just messing around and it came out that way and it's great right or i was you know i was on a run it was a flow moment it came out really well but then people write stuff like this sort of uh, retroactively have implications for the uh, the backstory, you know. See, now, as, as you're saying that, I would love the opportunity to ask her about some of these and well, say, you know, yeah. what, what did you put in? Did you know going into this, this is what the end product was going to be or what you wanted the end product to be? But I feel or, like with an with a artist like that, I don't know that you would ever get the real answer except at 3 a.m. in her living room right. after dinner next to a fire in the middle of the night. Sure. You know? Sure. Then she'd be like, oh, man, I was just, I was just messing around. Yeah. You know? like I had, I had 14 slices of 55 I needed to shoot through, and this yeah. is what I came up with. Yeah. Or right? whatever. You know, yeah, and this is what happened. But, you know, my gallery owner said that I needed to – whatever. Right. I, I feel like I feel like if you interviewed her, what you'd get is this kind of crap. And I think that that's true of a lot of artists because people don't want to think that it is randomness, that that there's that people want reason behind things. And I don't know that with art, there always is a reason or an intent. Well, OK, some of the, the like I, I did a series of mixed media pieces in 2009. 2008. Like the cool one on the tray? Yes. You sold that one, right? Yes. Um, and, I, you know, I had an idea of what I wanted them to look like when I started them. Right. I, I, I even went so far as to do mock-ups of some of them in Photoshop. And, Bill, I'll tell you, not one of them turned out the way I thought it would. Right. There, every, every single one of them was there – were, there were a series of, of accidents or, or – uh, just things that, that went together in ways that I didn't foresee or expect, but it made the pieces that much better. Well, and if, if I may be so bold, nor should they, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if, 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 if do you ever listen to a band called jellyfish, absolutely. Are you kidding? Okay. So, um, jellyfish, if you haven't heard them, did a record First record was way better than milk. Oh, you like, you don't like spilt milk. I like it, but I just, I think the first one was better. See, I think belly button was very catchy, but spilt milk was a masterpiece. 
um, anyway, the, the point of this is to say that Spilt Milk, their second record, was this sort of huge grand project that was more of like an opera than a single, like an album. Um, not a lot of singles on it, more of a, wow, we're going to go all out. Anyway, there is a box set. They only put out two albums, but there's a four CD box set that you can get, which has all of the demos from the Spilt Milk sessions and a lot of the belly button ones too. Mm -hmm. Um, where you can actually hear, they recorded the whole album once through and all the little things in the actual record that you were just like, Oh, they must've added that in later. They were in the demos, like a score, like the whole thing was like a musical score. Um, but I think that that is a very particular kind of person who works like that. You Mm -hmm. know, it's the person who, uh, it's, it's a very old style sort of more, um, uh, 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 Renaissance painter who does a small scale, you know, eight by 12 or eight by 10 painting and then scales it up to medium size and does a number of studies, right? you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, where I feel like a lot of the work that the more modern artistic process leaves a lot more up to the moment and it's less about perfection. You know? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. But it, so uh, I guess. But does, I, does that does does that does that improvisation or that allowing for that does that belie technique? Um, I think I think that they are not mutually exclusive, and I think that it can in it can imbue hum, a humanity that isn't there if you take it too structured. Okay. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what you're saying though. Like, I, I think that there are people who would say it's, that's like the whole, um, Oh, I'm going to write music, but I don't want to study, you know, two part or four part harmony because you know, who cares how Bach did it? It's like, well, you kind of need to know how Bach did it before you can start doing it yourself. Cause he figured out what does work and what doesn't work. Right. And by right, learning, right. you know, it's sort of the, you know, people talk about Picasso or Warhol, both Picasso and Warhol were excellent painters and illustrators before they became uh you know more abstract right or or the pop stuff in warhol's case um you know picasso moved on to the more abstract stuff not because he couldn't do the other stuff but because he felt trapped by the more straight style he didn't want to be portrayed as a realist right that that he was pushing out into something else it wasn't right. like and so many people look at it and they're like oh you know that looks like something my kid would do like a pollock painting or something like right, that right 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 um yeah try it sometime yeah exactly <laughs> you, you know? know um try so, it so i think that in some ways there are photographers or artists or painters who don't realize that you have to have all that other stuff before you can put it away mm-hmm. you know you have to know that stuff and have it in your toolbox before you could decide not to use it. Right. Because right. it does change the way you don't use it. It's sort of like a, it's sort of a negative space of technique. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah. No, it's good. Um, I don't For know. It's just four people that are still listening. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I, I think hope this not. is a good discussion. I, I hope this is a good discussion. Uh, uh, and I think, honestly, I think that, uh, that this is why people tune in to this particular show. Really. I think so. Yeah. Oh, see, I like, I thought we were onto something there. I think we are. I, I'm just, I was just giving you a hard time. Okay. So, um, <laughs> okay. So th- there's something I, there's, there's a topic I want to talk about today. 
Uh, I got an email last night, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read it, uh, but uh, remove one of the quotes here. Uh, where is it here? Um, okay, dear Mr. Wadman, we are a small agency from somewhere in Europe. Uh, working on a design of a monograph that will be published on the occasion of 10 years of this such and such dance festival, right? Mm-hmm. It is a small nonprofit festival, but it managed to build a very respectable reputation in international ballet and modern dance circles in spite of the circumstances it operates in. This is solely to be attributed by the great enthusiasm and dedication of the organizers and companies that help with funding, ideas, etc., and we are very happy that our agency has joined them to help with the project. We wanted to try to capture movement as something as static as the cover of a monograph. Uh, This is how we got the idea to use long exposure photo of a dancer in action. We started searching on the net for something similar we could use as a way to explain the idea to a client. And that's how we got to see your photos. Um, both we and the client are truly moved and captivated by your work. Not only did this photograph help us communicate the idea to the client, but we also realized that it would be perfect to use as the final visual as it is and, uh, as it is, and that it may be strange to organize a photo shooting for something that already existed executed so perfectly. Uh, we're working for the festival on a nonprofit basis, and we are well aware that you might not be a usual question, but would you consider allowing us to use this photo for the cover? The monograph will reach the most important ballet and dance institutions around the world and the most prominent choreographers and you will be clearly uh, and you will be clearly credited. If you're interested to help, we can send you some more information, blah, blah, blah. Thanks in advance, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Here's the thing. I get, I get emails (laughs) like this all the time. Right. Um, I, I understand that, you know, this is a nonprofit thing that you're doing. But you know what? The people who are printing the magazine are getting paid. Yeah. And you've already said that there's people, companies, and organizers that are getting funding. And Well, it's, it's back to the Harlan Ellison rant, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it's just kind of like this really strange thing where it's like, how, how, how do, you, do you... I have never, ever gotten work from an attribution. Right. Never. Uh, no one calls me because they saw my thing in this thing that I let them use it for free. Um. But it's just amazing. I just it amazes me that people argue like are still doing this kind of stuff. You know, I wrote him back and I said, "Well, you know, I'm sorry, but I, you know, I can't let you use my work for free for a variety of reasons. I, you know, I'm sure you understand. Um, but you know, if you were going to hire somebody else to take these pictures over again, there must be some sort of budget for photography, right? Somebody yeah. is getting paid. Yeah. So how about you pay me? And sure, yeah, you can use it then. Um, but so it, it you know, it, you, you may be working for a nonprofit. Unfortunately, my landlord is yeah. for profit. <laughs> yeah. Until Visa starts taking hopes and dreams, we're kind of at a crossroads. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Right. Um, but but I read it in its entirety only because how how long of an email he wrote. Well, it's quite a buildup. Yeah. He's like he's 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 stroking me and stroking me and, and whatever it and, is. And you, you've seen enough of these to know, OK, the shoe's going to drop in three. Oh, two, yeah. Oh, yeah. One. Oh, yeah. you know, the minute you get to the end of the first paragraph, if it doesn't say, can you give us a price of how much it would cost to whatever, you know, the rest of it's just trying to talk you out of talk you into doing it for free. Right. Um, it just cracks me up. And, uh, I, you know, it just, it kind of gets us into this conversation. We are having, uh, Nate Larson, friend of mine wrote in, uh, and 
he, you know, he, he, he wrote in about some guy. What was the guy's name? Uh, one second. I've got this. I got this. Nate, where are you? Uh, what is Jan this? Banning. Jan, Jan Banning. Banning Fuji. I believe it's Jan. Okay, no, Jan Banning. Oh, it's a Fuji camera. <laughs> Jan Banning. Did you just really call him Jan Banning Fuji? <laughs> that would be awesome if that's what his name was. <laughs> See, I, I don't, I He's don't a know very this lovely Norwegian Japanese gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Do you like these images? Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. I almost coughed. Uh, I do actually. I like them quite a bit. Okay. Uh, but again, here's something. Th- this this kind of goes back to intent, doesn't it? This kind of goes back to uh, finding the story of an image, finding out that the story behind an image can alter how you perceive that image. These are some interesting looking people. They are some interesting looking people. Um, uh, I so actually the, the re- like. Well, the reason why uh, Nate sent this in was because um, this is the guy who doesn't pay anything, right? Right. Okay. This, 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 this idea, this, this essay, if you will, uh, is called Down and Out in the South. And the idea behind it was uh, this fellow, Jan Banning, shot a bunch of people who are either poor or homeless or both, um, who signed over you know, a, a model release, the rights to their photos. And now this, this photographer is selling these images. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases, if you look at his previous project, uh, upwards of $10,000 a print. Right. Which is a lot of money. That's a, that's an awful lot of money. Yes. Um, this is not a guy who's just trying to get along. He's right. not just getting by. Okay, but the, the interesting thing about – he addressed it. The photographer addressed it, uh, and he says, I consider bribing people into collaboration by paying them is a clear form of exploitation of their poverty. How do you feel about that? Uh, I couldn't disagree with it more. You think that that's a bunch of bull? I yeah. So but you're going to pay a is, is part of his model. other wait his, his other you'll pay a professional model, but you won't pay the homeless guy. Is that what you're about to say? Sorry. Yes. Okay. Um, I I agree. There's also the question of um, is 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 the portrait of some normal person less than because they um, they were paid? You know, is is it is it a different portrait because they were paid? That, that being the only difference? Yeah. Like, I do don't you, believe it is. You don't think there would be? I, I don't. If I, I don't said I'd like to take your picture or if I said you really need money, I'm going to give you, Jeffrey, $1,000, let's say. Mm-hmm. Not, he would never give these people that much, but let's just say he did. Um, I'll give you $1,000, which would make a difference in your life. $1,000 would make it. If he gave you 50 bucks, that wouldn't make a difference. But if he gave you $1,000, that would make a difference. You don't think that you would look different in that picture? Uh, yeah. I, I, in, in that case, maybe. Right. Uh, but you could also take the picture and then tell me, you know what? We're going to pay you X number of dollars after you took the picture. Yeah. You could have set up, uh, I don't know. Gosh, yeah, these people just- were signing away their stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I'm just spitballing here, you know, set up a, a, a meal tent, have people, you know, I don't know. There, there's got to be something in there because 
in some way, selling the photograph is exploiting their poverty. Sure. Okay. Um, all right, let me back up because I am somewhat guilty here. Okay. Um, I did a project in 2007, 365 portraits, uh, and I asked for um, uh, volunteers. They all signed releases, and I didn't pay anybody anything. Um, now, at the time, I wasn't making... I Yes, I, there was a book of 365 portraits, and I sold prints, but I did not... Like, if you worked it out, I probably made, you know... $10 a day or $20. A day. I, I didn't make a lot of money that year. Certainly right. not on that project directly. Right. So, okay. And, and were the people that you were photographing living on the streets? No. Wondering where their next meal oh, was going to come from? One of them was, but, but yeah, but for the most part, no, they were not. Do you, does that matter? That a fact? I think it should. Okay. Well, that, that is a factor. Should the, should the amount of money that, that Jan or Jan, is it Jan? Jan? I don't know. I don't know if it's Jan or Jan. Okay. Is that a guy or a girl? I believe it's a guy. Okay. So it's probably Jan. Uh, does the amount of money he's making make a difference? If he was making $100 a print, would you feel less bad about him? That's an interesting question. That's, is it, that's is an it interesting... a scale thing, you know? And then the, the other question, I mean, even for me, right? Okay, I had, um, I had dancer friends of mine come and do the motion series with me, and I did not pay them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I gave most, if not all of them, some prints i you know i could have given all the 365 people prints but at the time i was making so little money i couldn't afford to give prints to everybody sure you know 365 prints and was it five dollars a print i can't spend two thousand dollars on prints and then shipping them out and whatever it is so i let them use their picture for facebook and all that kind of stuff you know like i i was sort of like yeah you know thanks for doing this you know you can use the picture like a low res copy online and stuff um but you but there is that question too of of what is does it matter how much money I'm making or how successful I am at this kind of thing? Um, I I've, I know very well to do fancy portrait photographers, actual fancy portrait photographers, not <laughs> you know, <laughs> not me. Other than you, who take pictures of very very famous people and make a lot of money in books and stuff. And I asked him once if he pays people and he said, no. And I'm like, well, do you give him a print or anything? He's like, no, if they want a print or they want to use it, they can pay me. And it's sort of like at a certain point there is, okay, if, if you were going to hire me to take a headshot of you, Jeffrey, um, you, you would, I would take the pictures of you and you'd have to pay me for that. Right. If you didn't like the pictures, you still have to pay me for that. Right. But if I'm doing a project, maybe you could sort of say, well, you know, you're kind of getting the shoot for free, whether or not you want to use those images and pay me for them afterwards. That's up to you. You know what I'm, you see what I'm well, saying? I, I, yeah, I do. And I, I definitely think it's that there is no easy answer. I mean, what was the show that we did? A, a, it was a couple shows back and it was the modern uh, the, the contemporary photographer that went and did the, the people in Appalachia. Went yeah, and shot yeah, yeah. the sure. family. Yep. Um, kind of, kind of a Walker Evans type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the question was, were they interesting photographs, or were they interesting photographs because these people were living in tin and cardboard shacks? Yeah, that that we we went three episodes on that. Right. And I think this is, is some of that same line of thinking. Um, you know, if if you've been 
uh, on a on a photo walk or something through New York or L.A. and there are people panhandling on the streets. Do, does paying them to take their photograph that to me is a little different than the person who just lost their job, their house, their you know whatever. And, and you know that you're going to make money off of this. Somehow it's different. And I can't reconcile in my head so, why it's different. So if he was doing this not as a book, whatever it is, and just was, yeah, maybe it was going in a gallery, but he wasn't selling prints or something, you would have less problem with it. It's because he's profiting from it. On some level, yes. Okay, here, let's, let's, let's back off for a second. How about you are drawing people? Okay. Does that make a difference? Uh, I think it does because there's a greater degree of interpretation, not a literal, you know, represent a, a literal capture of, of the of the person. These now, okay, that that's a great question, and and let me qualify that a little further. These are the portraits that we're talking about. Are can we say minimally post processed? No, there's there's a lot of processing on these. Okay, no, I, in term in terms of changing features changing who these oh, people oh, are. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Th- these are these are represent actual representations of these people. Right. And that's what I'm saying. I mean yes, yep. there's there's some posts going on, but I mean you're not uh doing some sort of impressionist version of these people. They're they're it's True. it's very definite True. who they are, what they look like. Yeah. Um so it's very literal in that respect. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, whereas, they, but they are interesting because they are so down and out. And you, that does get back to that exploitive argument sure uh sorry i i cut you off i well i again i'm I'm having a hard time as as i'm working through this live with you words failure words failure that's true uh i'm having a hard time reconciling how i feel about it as you're throwing in different sort of conditions well you know i'm i'm trying to push it i'm trying to push it to the edges to figure out what the rules actually are Mm -hmm. you know um it's sort of like the whole argument of like a human life is worth like anything. It's like, okay, well, $4 trillion, are you still going to do the surgery? Well, no, yeah. it's $4 trillion. Well, okay. No. Well, that means that there's an end point somewhere, you know? So where's that end point? Um, right. It's, 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 it's interesting. Um, I mean, where, where, where do you sit on this? Do you, do you see this as some sort of exploitation of the people being photographed? Do you think they were, they were taken advantage of in any way? These people, um, I think that he's making a lot of money and I think that the amount of money you're making does have some effect. Mm -hmm. I think that wasn't there talk though, that he gives some of the money away. Is that true or not true? Uh, I'm not sure. I couldn't, I I know he gets support from some other corporation. If, you know, he was like half the profits I make go to a soup kitchen in the area that these people are. That would make me feel better about it. But then again, you know what? People do all kinds of quote exploitive end quote stuff all the time to all kinds of people in all kinds of professions, you know? Sure. Um, so, you know, at the same time, an artist is a profession and needs to make a living. Right. So, you know, which gets back to the email that I got, you know, so it, it, yes, I enjoy what I do, but that doesn't mean I do it for free. Um, I, man, it's a, this is a tough, it's a very tough question and it's very difficult to, um, 
Yeah, here uh, my bureau, my bureaucrats and national identities print sold well, especially in Europe for prices over ten thousand dollars. But anyone who knows the art market will know that down and out in South will most likely not be a huge commercial success. So does it matter? As for the book, again, anyone who's experienced knows that uh, you don't make any money. I take on political and social themes because I care about society and I want to give some meaning to my life. I did get financial support from some foundation to cover part of the expenses. As for my profit, after making a quick calculation, I conclude that I now have been paid $8 per day of work. I guess, so he's making a lot of money on other stuff so that he can go do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. If he was selling these for $10,000 a piece, I would say that that's pretty gross. Well, and that's that's where it's all, frankly, just from reading the emails from, from Nate, it's a little gray. It's a little gray as to what's the end game with these photographs? No, it totally is. Uh, in an almost frustrating way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like this whole bureaucratics prints. Um, what, what are these pe- pictures? Of? I haven't seen these ones. 50 pictures. Oh, it's like uh, people in, in bureaucrats in, in third world countries, like dealing with piles of paper in India and that kind of stuff. Right. Well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's I I don't know that there is one answer. You know, I mean, look at at somebody like was it was it Platon that did all the the people at the United Nations? Uh, could have been yes. It was Platon. I think it was Platon. Uh, you know, so he's making money from prints from shooting people that he didn't pay. So, yeah. on one hand, why is it different? Why should it be different for people? that don't have anything not to be paid when people that do have something to be paid. And I, the only answer I can come up with is it just is, you know, there was a, there's a video online or I think it was on Netflix of some photographer who went to a porn convention and was taking portraits of all the people at the convention. So every time I think it was at the AVN awards or whatever the big, you know, award show is for the, for porn. Um, Mm -hmm. when they came off stage, he asked them to come over and he shot them on, gray or you know on a, on a plane background he had a light set up and just snap okay and it was for a book he was making and one of the photographers or one of the porn stars i think it was some guy who the heck was it one of like the big bigger famous guys was just like wait what's this for and he's like oh i'm making a book he's just like well are you paying me you know, and the guy's like, well, no, I mean, you, you know, you can give your piece of the profits to share charity or whatever it is. You know, he was right. Like, right. Right. Know. And the guy's just like, well, no, then I'm not letting you take my picture. Cause he is in some ways, he is his own persona, right? He is his, like in some, to some extent, he is a character that he's created. Sure. He's the brand, right? He's he is brand. the brand. And so yeah. like, I'm not going to give you my brand to make money off of. Right. And I, and the guy was trying to talk him down and the other guy was like yelling at him. And I, I found it a very confrontational, uncomfortable thing to watch. And I ended up turning it off after that. But at the same time, I kind of got to the end of it and, and it made me uncomfortable because I feel like there are situations where I would be like that, where mm-hmm. I would want to go shoot Andy and not go. And he would say, you know, no, you can't take my picture. Right. Because, you know, who the heck are you and what are you going to do with these? You know, that whole thing. Didn't um, uh, Greenfield Sanders, didn't he do a whole series of, of... He did porn stars too, and he did diptychs of them with clothes on and without clothes on. That's right, it was. That's um, what it was. Which were interesting. And I, as far as I know, he didn't pay any of those people either. But that um, was a book as well, wasn't it? Yes. In fact, that is the best-selling photo book of all time. But, what? Yeah, supposedly. Wow. Um, but at the same time, 
you also get in this situation where he is at the level where people will do it for free and sign away their stuff just so they can say that they've been shot by him. Mm -hmm. There's a certain level at which you get a cachet of being who you are. And the fact that somebody even worked with you. Right. Is, is, is rubbing off on you. There, there's a reversal. It's, yeah. it's no longer, I worked with somehow it's thank you for taking my picture. Right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. It's, which is well, a whole different thing. It's Annie Leibovitz, isn't it? Right. If Annie Leibovitz wanted to take your picture, you would probably say yes. You know, I, I probably would. Right. Um, but if, you know, Joe Schmo girl from the art school down the street wants to take your picture, you're like, I don't have time for that. I mean, I made letter, but you know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's, there's weird stuff going on there, but it all comes down to worth, doesn't it? It all comes down to worth, the, the worth of the photographer, the worth of the subject, the yeah. worth of the photograph I think and that how there's, all of those things play together. There's a little bit of an economy. There's, 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 um, there's a back and forth there. There's, um, there's math being done there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And somehow if you end up above the zero line, Sure. If it's not worth it to you, I mean, there, there's a certain thing there. And I ask people to take their pictures all the time and some of them say no, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not talking people on the street. I'm talking like I contact people. And a lot of times, especially even more recently, I think my work is at a level and I'm known enough to a certain level where a lot of people are flattered by the fact that I would want to take their picture. Mm-hmm. You know, see what I'm saying? Do, do you have to, which, which feels very good for me because that makes the whole thing easier. Cause I don't like that confrontation. Some people sure. are into that, but there, there have been times in the past when I've asked to take pictures of people and people don't get back to me. They're like, you know, what's this for? Or, you know, who, you know, what is this project? Are they all photographers you're shooting or, you know, whatever it is. Um, do you have to harder. outline it when you take a photograph? Do you have to say, look, I'm using it for this, but there's a possibility that I may do this? Well, the pro- the thing is, is that most of the work that I do doesn't work out like that. Or mm-hmm. rather, I do not try to monetize that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm doing personal projects, a lot of times it's it's not like I should, but I don't. A lot of times it's much more. Oh, you know, uh, I'm, I, I would love to meet this person and take their picture. Right. It's not so much. I want to meet this person, take their picture so that it's part of this series that I'm going to sell to a gallery. Right. You know, um, most of the people that I want to meet and take their picture, it's either just to meet them and take their picture, you know, as, as an experience. Um, and a lot of times they'll end up buying the picture to use for their own use. You know, that happens sometimes, but then Mm -hmm. sometimes it's an awkward thing where I go shoot somebody and they want one of the pictures for something that they're going to make money on. And, and part of me is just kind of like, well, you know, I'm glad you like the picture, but if you're using it for commercial stuff, how about you just pay me a little bit as if I, if you'd hired me to take this picture. Right. Right. You know, that, that portion of it seems to get left out of the equation. Yeah, they, they, it's it's almost as if this this portrait has somehow just magically appeared, and oh, coincidentally, I need one for you know my new reel or the back of my book. Exactly. No, but, but the flip side of that is that I don't want to go to somebody and say, "Hey, Jeffrey, I'd really love to take your picture." Um, you know, if you like it, we where it sounds like it's all one big thing to right. get you to pay me. Right. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Right. It just sounds like a pitch. At it that sounds point. like a pitch, and I don't want it to sound like a pitch, which is why I generally don't bring it up in the first you know, when I'm first contacting people. Right. Um, but there's still, like you said, you, you used a great way to describe it. There's an economy there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and the currency seems to be different depending on which side of this this economy right. you're in. And you know, I mean most of the people that this guy is taking pictures of are people who are probably have no idea who he is. Right. You know. Um but maybe he's a big deal and getting your picture taken by him if you're some normal person is 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 like wow, he wants to take my picture, which is great, you know. Um, yeah, but at some point it'd be like, hey, a burrito would be nice too. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 this particular series is, I mean, these people look like they're on their last, yeah. you know, stretch. Uh, they are fairly rough. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very difficult question. Yeah. We can go around right, that forever. Yeah. Right in. If you've got opinions, e- email, call, we'd, we'd love to hear what people think about this because they're, they don't. There, there doesn't seem to be a hard and fast answer and there don't, I, I can't, I can't see any rules. There don't seem to be any rules. No, no hard and fast rules. Um, uh, it's tough. Hey, uh, you want to, uh, let's do, uh, let's talk about Rad Lab. Rad Lab, our brand new, totally rad, our brand new sponsor. We're very happy to have them on board. Um, you're kind of a new user, right? I am. You've been you, you've had now uh, a week or so to play around with it. What do you think? Uh, I think it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 a the kind of tool that if if what you're looking to do is you don't know where you want to go with an image, and you want to use it to sort of uh, suss out where you want to go. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, or, or how you want to treat an image or how it's going to look. I think that for situations like that, it's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that in some ways, those are the situations where it's most useful to somebody like me, mm-hmm. uh, where I can, where I can, you can try out different looks without having to spend a half an hour on each of them. You know? Yeah. It's, it's sort of a, a creative rapid prototyping tool. Yes. I could, I, I totally see it for that, you know, and for somebody who is actually finishing images, but doesn't want to, you know, sit there with 15 layers in Photoshop. I mean, this gets you there quick, right? you know, which I can imagine for, uh, event photographers and stuff is like a huge, huge thing. Uh, uh same with pro retouch. I think for, for wedding shooters, senior shooters, uh, where you're doing a lot of, of, uh, you're not taking, you know, three and four hours per image because the number of images that you produce directly correlates to how much money you put in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, I think pro retouch and, and rad lab both are really fantastic tools to, like you say, get you there quick and with really great results. So yeah. you're spending less time, you're making more money. It's fun doing the stacking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, you know, I took some pictures of this girl Hattie this morning and, and I'm, I'm just flipping through them now inside of rad lab, you know, trying out some of the, some of the, uh, styles, stylets rather. Um, it's just, it's just cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's cell phone camera filters on steroids. Like on, yeah. like on, like a whole other yeah. level in 16 bit. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the way they should non-destructive do that are not. Re- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why is this so difficult for some people? Yeah. Uh, and it works with Lightroom. So that's, that's uh, in fact, I cool. just opened it up from Lightroom uh, and I'm doing it straight inside of there, which is, which is really handy without having to open it up in Photoshop. Yeah. Um, 
very, very cool. So, so there's Rad Lab, which is the filtery stuff. Right. There is Pro Retouch, which allows you to do what? Pro Retouch is, is their retouching engine. It's a set of actions that uh, takes care of skin, eyes, lips, hair. You so know, then you it, can go uh, mask? You can, yeah, everything is, and again, it's non-destructive, applied with layer masks. Uh, you can go in and fine-tune things. You can stack them on top of each other. So let's say you're doing, you're doing your, your first pass at skin retouching. Uh, the, the actions have basically low, medium, and high. Uh, and you can then adjust your brush opacity. That gives you one level of control. You can adjust the opacity of the, of the layer itself. That gives you another level of control. You can mask things in and out. That gives you a third level of control. And then you can stack the effects to give you even greater control. So, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of flexibility in, in how you can work with these things. And, and I think that's what I, I appreciate the most about what Doug and his team have done is they've created a tool that works with every other tool in their collection, yeah. works with other actions and other tools that you may already own. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, as we've said, get you there pretty quick. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, I was going to spend a lot of time on one of these images and I just found one that automatically like got me 80% of the way there without even opening it in Photoshop yet. Yeah. Um, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's very, very cool stuff. So, uh, what what are they doing for us? I mean, you can can you go download these to try? You can go download a trial of Rad Lab. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's a trial of Pro Retouch because they're they're actions. They're not a package. Gotcha. Uh, they're not a plug-in package. Uh, but if you if you want to save some money, use the the coupon code fourteen thirty five OTP. Yep, one four three five OTP. Yeah, and you can save fifteen percent on. Uh, Plugins, honestly, that are that are already not expensive. So I mean, fifteen percent. Yeah, that's a good. That's good. A lot of places are only going to give you five, yeah. maybe ten. Uh, and so, and uh, and uh, if you do so, you're going to help uh, support the show, which if which you is like good. it, which is a great thing. Uh, we we like them, and you know, we uh, Rad Lab, uh, the totally rad people uh, have been very good to us. So uh, yeah, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's gettotallyrad.com. All one word. And uh, once again, the code is 1435OTP. Yeah. And uh, we thank them for their support. And, we, you know, we have some good sponsors coming in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Some new stuff. It's very yes. exciting. You, you've, you've, been, you've been tinkering. If you need a website, you might want to wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Just, not, just, just saying. Wink, wink. Yeah. Giant, <laughs> giant audio wink. Um. Yes. Uh, so let's, okay, we, 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 we got heady today. We got heady. Let's lighten it up, man. Okay, so we, we have, uh, let's get some uh, viewer mail. Viewer mail. <laughs> what was that from? What is viewer mail from? Uh, is that a Letterman thing? Is that it? I think Maybe. so. Viewer Could mail. Be. I don't um, know. But listen to mail. I always like the, the candy gram, too, from Saturday Night Live. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. Landshark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so last week I complained about people. (laughs) You could just stop there. Yeah. People. (laughs) I complained. (laughs) Bill's mic goes to ground. That's right. (laughs) Um, And and we we got an email. Do you you have that email from uh, Burke? Uh, Yes. Wait, is it the one from Burke or is it Sonia? No, I'm talking about the one from Burke about being competent. 
Oh, right, right, right. Uh, yes. So you, we read the whole thing, or just kind just of the main. Grab, grab, grab a, you know, give us a little schmooch. All right, here, here's here's the 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 meat of uh, of Burke's email. I'm an architect as well as a photographer, and I've seen a decreasing knowledge base for years from students and new employees. I was one of the last generations to be trained how to draft with pen and paints, pen and pencil, and AutoCAD. I've continued to be a recent adopter of technology and haven't drafted by hand for almost 20 years. Regardless, those years of drafting by hand and the technique involved are inextricably linked to good computer drafting and modeling, as well as the ability to draw freehand. If the power goes out or if I'm on a construction site, I can still work at a high level of competency, while the kids, quote unquote, would be lost in the field. I think they are just as those lost in the office because they have no basic knowledge. Uh, I see this throughout the arts. The most successful actors are, the be- are, are rarely the best trained. The most famous contemporary artists couldn't draw themselves out of a potajon. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Picasso painted the way he did, which you, you alluded to earlier, yeah. because he was already an amazing academic painter and was looking for something else. Even politicians today are chastised for being professional. Nobody ever accused Bush or Palin of being too wonkish or cerebral. Okay, one line that I really like in here is he said, uh, they, have, uh, they have no craft, he mm-hmm. says. And that is a word that I'm surprised I didn't use last week because that is a word that I really like. Craft. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's this body of knowledge. It's this muscle memory it's it's the sort of stuff that you've been doing so much that it becomes an intuitive you see what i'm saying what i'm trying to say can craft exist without talent yes can talent exist without craft yes and but i think that the really amazing art comes from the symbiosis the 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 multiplication of craft and talent Mm-hmm. or craft and inspiration. I don't know that talent, there are talented people, but I think the really talented people work really hard. See what I'm saying? Like that mm-hmm. talent is as much hard work as it is. Well, what's, what's the quote? Uh, inspiration is everywhere. It just has to find you working. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know, it, it, this idea that, that, you know, up to the mountaintop, ye shall go and come down with all knowledge that it, it just doesn't work. Right. Uh, it, but it, the idea that yes, the thing that bothers me that I wanted to get out last week is that it's it's yes, these people don't have knowledge, and not these people, but you know there are people who who don't know basic things about the field that they're talking in, and there's a certain inherent well, then you can't really understand anything. You know what I mean? Like if sure. if, if you don't understand the foundational stuff, how do you understand the things that are? are combinations of the foundational things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that is part of doing what we do well, whether it's professionally or, uh, uh, as an amateur, I think, and, and there's nothing wrong with being an amateur artist or an am- amateur, uh, uh, you know, um, an amateur anything. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that in our photographer of the week. Um, there's excellence in people who do, aren't working professionally in some ways, uh, more than people are working professionally because they're doing it for the reasons they want to do it for, not for the reasons sure. their clients want to do it for. Uh, being but a professional doesn't mean craft. that you're good. Sure, yes, you that, owe that, it to the craft. Right, and a lot of times you you 
yes, you care more if you're not doing it for money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I think that there, I think we have very little time on earth in our lives and there is a breadth of knowledge, but there's also a depth of knowledge that I find interesting. Sure. And I think that people need to, uh, I think, I mean, every generation always says the next generation isn't going as deep as them. You know, you never read the great books from University right, of Chicago. Right. Like, you know, you never read Plato. So what do you know? And uh, yeah, okay, true. Um, yeah, there's a certain amount of truth to that, sure. Right, but I think that the technology in photography in the last 15 years has changed things to the point where you 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 could still take competent stuff without knowing any of that stuff, but the why is as important to me and I think is important to your respect for the craft as the product, as the what. Sure. Well, and I, I think, uh, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I think that that's what gets me back to, to Sally Mann and people like her is, is whether you love the work or hate the work, there is a dedication to the craft there. Okay. Jeffrey, just tell me one thing. What? You walk into a room. Sally Mann is what sitting. Kind of, what, what kind of room is it? Uh, it's a bar. Empty, I walk into a bar? Empty hotel bar in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. You walk into the bar, bartender's there, just some old guy. Two women sitting at the bar, Sally Mann and Ann Curry. Oh. Who do you go chat up? I go ask Sally Mann if she would take a wet plate photograph of Ann Curry and I. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Done and done. (laughs) Oh, Ann. Oh, Anne. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. What, we got some other, uh, one more, a uh, couple, couple more quick emails. Um, uh, John, what was the, the email that John had? Dunbar well, was asking about uh, printers. Printer calibration or something. Yeah. Well, no, printers in general. He says, uh, wondering what printer you use. I know you have your favorite Red River papers. I don't think I've heard you talk about what what's important in a printer for you, whether certain brands are better than others, blah, blah, blah. I used to be a proud owner of an Epson 2400 several years back because I wanted this three specialized inks to avoid uh, metamerism, uh, metamerism uh, in black and white prints. But beyond that, I wonder if there's anything to differentiate semi-professional printers anymore. Okay. Um, I currently use a, an Epson R3000. Um, I, up until this printer, I was using an HP B9180, uh, which are both pigment printers. For me, it is important to use a pigment printer because then they're far more archival on good papers. Um, Rather than a dye-based printer. Yes, lasting yeah. for 100 years as opposed to 10 years or 5 years. Um, I also found in the better printers, and this might not be true of modern dye printers, but black and white stuff and pigment printers, the, the, the pigments seem to be so much more stable that you get less color shift in black and white. Uh, the dye printers seem to go green. More yes, often than exactly. Not. And uh, you know, it's funny. My mother, I, there was a picture of a lily pad that I took that I gave my mother years ago that she put up in the bathroom of her old of my old house when I was a kid. And you know, she put it up like say say it was five years ago, eh, eight years ago. Um, I gave her this picture of a lily pad, and it was up on the wall. And then a couple years later, I gave her another picture that I I had printed out on a pigment printer. The first one was on a dye printer. I had a Canon 90, 
9,000, 9,900, something like that. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? I don't know what that is. 13 inch. Okay. Um, it was before Canon made any pigment printers and I wasn't really in the field. So whatever. Um, but you can't put those two prints anywhere near each other because the, the second one is like dead on black and white and the other one's like faded to gray. Yeah. Yeah. Or not gray green rather. Um, so for me, uh, the important thing is a pigment printer mm-hmm. beyond that. Any of the major brands are going to do a good job. If you're looking for reasons to buy one over the other, I mean, a lot of people like Epson. The new Epson seem to be a lot better about the clogging heads, which was a big problem for a while. Um, the only thing that I will say that is a good thing about uh, buying a sometimes buying a bigger printer which is a lot more expensive ends up being cheaper in the long run because the ink is cheaper because they're larger cartridges. So uh, f- agreed. For, yep. So for some people, instead of buying a 13 inch printer to buy the 17 inch printer, which costs 400 instead of $700, it costs 1200. Well, you know what? That $500 is a couple of years worth of ink and you're getting that much more ink in the initial cartridges of the big printer on top of being able to do bigger prints yeah, uh, is, I agree. Is, am I making sense there? No, I, I mean I've I've got a an Epson thirty eight hundred, right. which is a, a thirteen inch printer, mm-hmm. and then I've got a seventy six hundred, which is twenty four. And yes, the ink is much more expensive, but it's also you're you know, getting ten it? times the amount. Yeah, for, literally. Yeah. I mean, it's I think the cartridges for the thirty eight hundred are fifty mil, right. and the extended cartridges for the the seventy six hundred are five hundred mil. Yeah, so it's literally a, an order of magnitude more. And it doesn't cost an order of magnitude. It's like, it's like 300 bucks more. Right. So, you know, if you have the room for it you and you print and you think you're going to print a lot, you might actually want to go for a bigger printer. Um, but I know that Canon and Epson both make good uh, pigment printers nowadays. Uh, I think HP is now out of the business, although I really loved my HP 9180. That was a great printer. Um I but, really but it got the to the quality. point where I couldn't get the ink anymore. Yeah. I like the quality of the 7600. Sure. Uh, it does fantastic black and whites, especially on that Red River Polar Matte. There you go. That, uh, <laughs> that, that much different than uh, the smaller printer? No. No. Uh, if you put them side by side, I, I think you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to tell the difference. Well, if anything, the smaller printers might actually be newer head technology, right? Uh, it is. I think it, it, the, the pica liters that it, that it spits out are probably a little smaller and, and uh, that may work to its advantage. Yeah. But again, for the stuff that I print, uh, you know, it, it, both of them do a, a very good job. Yeah. So, uh, John, there's your, que- there's your answer to your question. Um, the answer is that all new printers are good. If you can <laughs> uh, go for a pigment printer, if you have the money, uh, I did the 3000 because it was like a hundred dollars more than the next size down Epson, but the, the, the amount of ink, uh, was, uh, that much, uh, less, you know I mean? That much more in the, in sure. the bigger printers. So it was well worth a hundred dollars. The one thing about the bigger printers too, is a lot of them allow you to have both the blacks in there at the same time. I don't mm-hmm. switch between matte and, uh, glossy a lot. I'm always all glossy. I don't really print matte. So with some of these printers, you lose a lot of ink going back and forth between those two blacks where some printers, I think the Canons uh, allow you to use both blacks at once. Uh, and the, my old HP did too. Um, so it's one of the little weaknesses about the, uh, the Epsons, mm-hmm. some of the smaller Epsons. 
Anyway, yeah, and the, the older that. Epsons used to go through a ton of ink. Just doing cleaning things? Do, no, where... doing doing the, the switch from, from uh, matte black to It's photo still black. like a milliliter or three milliliters. And you know what? These cartridges are only 20-something mils. So like if you bounce back and forth, you're using half your cartridge. You know? yeah. So yeah. That, that's no good uh, to clear out the lines. I, they should just add another another head you know you think that would be that much easier anyway whatever yeah you would think um okay and then lastly here uh a couple weeks ago uh sonia is it chisenhall you think wait you just cut out i'm sorry uh sonia chisenhall uh yep uh Uh, that's the armenian photographer yeah uh you want to talk a little bit about that no, I did the last one. You do this one. Oh, it's like that, huh? Uh, okay. Uh, Sonia's a convert to our podcast. Joy's listening to it, blah, blah, blah. She wanted to tell us about an encounter she had 12 years ago. She lived in Israel, uh, was searching for a place to process film, discovered a tiny shop in the old city of Jerusalem. It was packed full of black and white prints from the first half of the 20th century. The photographs were taken by the shop's owner's father. Uh, uh, I'm going to kill this name. Uh, Aliyah Kevadajan. Not bad. Okay. That's probably good. Okay. And it was run uh, mainly by his grandson, Ruben, uh, since the son was drinking tea and playing backgammon most of the time. Uh, at the time, he, uh, 19 years old, only had a marginal interest in photography. Uh, had it been wiser, would have bought half the store. Instead, I bought a print for her for the da- for her dad. Uh, later, a friend of mine visited Israel, brought back a print that I treasure very deeply. Uh, anyway, she wanted to send us some links of this guy's work. Apparently, there's also a, a book uh, of his work on Amazon. Uh, only used copies. Uh, and uh, she went on to thank us for the podcast. But this just goes to show the reason I bring this up, and we're going to put some links in the show notes, is that not all great photographers are professional photographers. Right. And some of them are, you know, you and me and the lady on the subway across the, the from you or whatnot. And you don't know until that they're doing it for themselves. You know, it's not for art galleries and making a living. Um, and therefore our photographer of the week, Jeffrey, Vivian Mayer. You love Vivian Mayer. I do. I really like so her work. Give us the 30 second rundown of who this woman is. Okay. The 30 second rundown. It's a, first of all, it's a fascinating story. If, if you have not heard or read or seen, uh, the story of Vivian Mayer, uh, she was uh, a governess, a nanny, a housekeeper uh, in Chicago. And on her days off, she would take her Rolleiflex camera and go make photographs throughout the city uh, and, and into New York. And uh, really just had a really fantastic eye for making photographs. And one of the things that I, that I really like about her work was the way she was able to largely go unnoticed by the people she photographed. Yeah. True. Uh, there's, there's, there, you know, there are a number of different styles and, and, uh, street photographers who employ them, people like Eric Kim, who, uh, are more confrontational or what, what's the other guy in New York? Uh, uh, um, uh, Meyerowitz, Joel Meyerowitz, Joel Meyerowitz. Uh, who are, are more confrontational, which, sure, there's a place for that, but I tend to find Vivian Meyer's work of, of observational and, and largely ignored that much more intriguing. Yeah. It's funny, a camera like that that she uses is almost easier to uh, 
in some ways it's almost easier to be inconspicuous because you're sort of looking down at it like sort of a waist level viewfinder kind of camera because mm-hmm. it's not like you're holding it up and pointing it at somebody you're just looking down into this box that somebody's not necessarily seeing it as they're looking at you you know what i mean right yeah there's there's a the la- i think the lack of eye contact in that respect worked largely to her advantage yeah you know, people glancing over, seeing, you know, your forehead or the top of your head, you know, there's no eye contact. There's no reason for them to hold your gaze. They look back to what they were doing and, and you make a photograph. So, you know, some of these pictures are fantastic. And what's interesting about it. So these were found just in boxes. Yeah. What, what happened was a, a, a guy named John Maloof uh, was uh, working on another project uh, and ended up going to this uh, auction and purchasing a box of uh, her negatives, thinking that they would have pictures of Chicago, which he needed for this, for this project. He was doing a, a book about a neighborhood in Chicago called, uh, God, what's the name of the neighborhood? Portage Park. Does that sound right? Portage Park. Uh, I've only been to Chicago once. I think it's Portage Park. Okay. Anyway, so he went to this auction and, and in the auction was this box of, negatives that, that he thought, well, you know, I'll, uh, and prints, I'll buy these and, and maybe there's something in here that I can use. Uh, turned out they were all Vivian Meyer's negative, uh, 30,000 some odd negatives. And they just started going through these things and seeing one after another of these amazing images. Uh, so he, and then they he, thought, cha-ching. Yeah. They thought we are so money. Uh, <laughs> so he, he found, uh, uh, people that she used to work for, and they gave her a suitcase filled with some of her clothes and a couple of her cameras. And he contacted other people who had purchased her negatives and 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 thinks that he has about ninety percent of of her negatives. Uh, and a, a bunch of the film is still unexposed. He's still got a bunch of two twenty rolls that have have not been developed. Um, uh, you say in your little article here, uh, some critics say that her work is just average, that there are a few standouts, but for the most part does not pass the test of some of the masters. I agree. I mean, look, we're seeing a few hundred shots of 30,000, you know, right. um, I, I, some of the pictures I like the best are ones that she's in, in reflections and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that stuff is really cool. Yeah, her um, self-portrait shots are really good. And it's there's another thing that's easier to do in the waist-level cameras, you know, that rather than uh, a regular camera. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I also find that I feel like things were different back then. That How do you mean? Taking street photographs when everyone didn't have a camera, it was a less common thing, and yet it was somehow a more respected thing. Does that make sense? People, people mugged for the camera. People like there's a little kid at the window, like people, um, it was something special, you know, it wasn't a, uh, because you didn't see the hardware all the time. Yeah. Because not everyone was taking pictures with their camera all the time. Somebody who was somehow get more respect where if you walk around on the street today, a lot of people like hold their hands up in front of their faces. Right. You know, which I, I don't feel like people did 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, there, there, there may be like that. Is a, a, there's a societal change that has happened. Sure. And, and maybe that gets us back to our, to our previous discussion about worth. You know, everybody knows that photographs have worth. It's a sliding scale of worth, but there, there's this idea of 
you know, what are you using this for? Like your, your analogy about the, the porn convention, what are you using this for? Well, I'm writing a book. Well, then I'm not going to let you use it. Right. You can't take my photograph. Right. Sure. You know, and, and there are the, uh, the, uh, the costumed, uh, superheroes and whatnot on Hollywood Boulevard that they, they say they work for tips, but try and take a photo without paying them. Right. No, same thing in New York. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, there's like a, Oh, uh, even, um, what's her name? Um, uh, uh, what's her name who took the picture of the kid with the grenade Either with the, Oh, uh, uh, it's, uh, we did a spotlight on her. Why are we having such a problem thinking of a very famous photographer? D, uh, uh, D, Diane Arbus. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Where, Diane Arbus. Where, where she took. You know, she took a picture of some kid, whatever it is, who was walking around. Nowadays, you'd probably get arrested for taking a picture of some kid, you yes. know? Or if you did, a parent would be like, well, I'd like to make sure that I sign a release. And where back then, people just took pictures, you right. know? That it wasn't this huge uh, society that was full of lawsuits, you know? I don't know. There's something to be said for that. Um, Maybe, but Vivian yeah. Meyer stuff, a lot of people, like, it's just, she's an example of somebody who loved photography and she did it for herself. And some of her work is tragically good. Yeah. And by all accounts, uh, or by many accounts anyway, uh, never really showed it to people at all. Yeah. Not even like to her friends. Right. This was for her. You know, this is my thing. I'm going to go do this. And, you know, the question that I have is so many rolls of film went unprocessed. Yeah. So was this, was this a need? Was this some sort of almost, almost pathological need that she had to fulfill, get out and shoot, get out and shoot, get out and shoot, because she's not even seeing the results of her labors. She's not even seeing, yeah. you know, tens of thousands of images that she the made. The act of doing, not the, not the proceeds. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and maybe at the time it was cheaper, it was cheap for her to buy film, but processing was expensive, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe she rolled her. I mean, she maybe she got big rolls because back in the day you could do that. I mean, you still can today in some ways, but big rolls uh, of of two and a quarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, black and white too works well. Yes, and you know, they I wonder had a how show. good these images look before they're. I mean, I'm sure these guys are scanning the negatives and making them look good. I wonder yes. if they're actually this good out of the box, as it were. Yeah, or or do they all look like that that uh, saw lighter shot of the cops in the snow? You know, where right. it's all just sort of grainy and yeah. Oh, that's a great shot though. It is a great shot. Um, Love me some I don't know. Lighter. I mean, I also they, like the square, man. They look great in person. Uh, the Karnowski Gallery in LA had a showing of, of her work and they're beautiful in person. Well, here's an example though, right? Who's making the money from the sale of these prints? Uh, probably Maloof since he owns all the negatives. Which is kind of weird, right? It is kind of weird, but apparently there's, she's got no surviving family. Right. Uh, so, you know, but he's, 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 he's trumping up her work, selling books, whatever it is. I know it's just interesting. I mean, I you know it just goes back to the whole thing about, you know, who, who should get paid, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he bought a box of negatives, therefore he can make prints and books and whatever it is and have all the rights to the images. Yeah. And I think the initial purchase was four or 500. Yeah. It's interesting. yeah, it is. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a question. I'm surprised, you know, and then, yeah, who was, it? no surviving family. Fascinating. Uh, very little is known about her. 
you know? And yeah. well, very little known about most people who live, you know, it's, it's amazing how much we don't think about that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Vivian Mayer, go check out her work. We're going to put some links in the show notes and her story is fascinating as well. It is. Uh, there's a, there's also a book that, that was released called Vivian Mayer street photographer. That's got more images. And have you got the book? Uh, I do not have the book. Maybe I'll have to, I'll put it up in the show notes too, but I may have to get that one. Interesting. I flipped through it. It, There are some interesting images. I kind of, uh, I want to see more of what they find. I want to see, you know, I want to give people a chance to sort of cull through it and curate the best of the best. The book in looking through it felt a little rushed and like they were trying to capture on the, on the, on the buzz. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and the paper quality felt a little, you know, I, these kinds of books, I, I, I want a nice paper. I want to feel gotcha. not that it was just yeah. any other photo book. Yeah, I understand. Maybe there's a, maybe they're going to come out with a fancier one. That would be nice. Uh, there's a Hearst Gallery paperback. Um, all right. So if people want to get a hold of us or send us uh, some info, what do you think? I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Okay. That's the one. And if they want to find the show notes, they go to ontakingpictures.com as well. Yeah. Um, if you go to ontakingpictures.com, yeah, but if you go to ontakingpictures.com slash podcast, you can, uh, you can get to all of the old show notes too. It'll just show you the show notes episodes. Yes. And uh, you know, you're pretty diligent about doing very good show notes. We, we do. I'm, I'm trying things I like, and I, I put in links to books for the photographer of the week too. Yes. Um, and, and that helps a little bit. Yep. Uh, they go through Amazon. We get a little bit on the, on the sale of each. So it helps sure. the show. Uh, or if you don't want to buy books and just want to write us a big fat check, that would, that would work too. Sure. And, uh, if you, uh, if you want to find us, we're on Twitter at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Sidoris, uh, double D, uh, one R. Yes. And it's, uh, E-R-Y, Jeff E-R-Y. It's, you have one of those names. You got to explain it. Uh, it's the worst. <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to add before we finish up? No, I'm good. Uh, just want to thank everybody for listening. We are having a blast oh, doing this show. Long episode. Yeah. Again, long episode. How long? Uh, over an hour and a half. Oof. All right. It's all right. People will stop listening like an hour in. <laughs> That's right. Actually, people don't say that. No. People want good. more. They want more. Um, okay. So next week I'm going to be in the, the mountains, but so maybe if we could try to do like a short something or a special episode or something at the end of the week. Okay. Could be fun. That would be good. Uh, and maybe something live in LA right in, if you're in LA, if you're, if you're a photographer and you're, you're in the LA area, uh, and would maybe want to, you know, get together and have a coffee or a beer and talk shop. Maybe we can make that happen. Are we going to do a meetup? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. See how many people respond. Okay. Uh, Yeah, send us an email, podcast.ontakingpictures.com, and we'll figure that out. Uh, Until next time, uh, take some pictures. Yeah, have a great week. All right.